Well, it's good to see you here tonight. Thank you for coming. Um, you're probably wondering why you're staring at a screen and not a person. Well, as many of you know, our pastoral team is in Orlando, Florida at the General Council, which happens every two years. And um, we've got families uh, with children that are participating in our Fine Arts Festival Nationals competition. And so it was a privilege for me and my family to be in go, go and take part in that. So that's where I am tonight. I've always wondered what it would be like to be in two places at once. Well, it's pretty cool because I'm here with you, but I'm also with my family, enjoying time with them. But I, I want to start a series tonight for the next four Wednesday nights in August called The Life of Prayer. And you might say, well, well, we knew it was probably going to be on prayer because Pastor Justin's teaching. And that's good because I, I want to be known as the prayer pastor. I want to be known as the one who um, helps to push and encourage and foster uh, a prayer life and to understand the importance of prayer and know Jesus in relationship and not just in a religious way. Uh, because many Christians stop uh, short of a life of prayer. Uh, some Christians will stop at the purpose of prayer. Well, prayer is so when I get in trouble and get stuck, I can yell out to God and he can save me and deliver me and help me. And, and that's where they're stuck the rest of their Christian life is just at the purpose of prayer. And can I just add, that's only one purpose of prayer. There are other many purposes of prayer. Some get stuck at the activity of prayer. Just, hey, I checked it off my list. I prayed today. I'm a Christian, so I've got to pray. So I did my activity of prayer. And many believers get stuck there. Um, some move on to a lifestyle of prayer. And that's good. I think that's better than just the purpose of prayer or the activity of prayer. But I don't think it's the best because we tend to change lifestyles depending on the trend. So when the trend is the prophetic, we tend to do prophetic things. When the trend is prayer, we tend to do prayer things. When the trend is worship, we tend to do worship things. When the trend is the word, we tend to do word things. And can I just encourage you tonight that it's not a lifestyle that we switch in and out of based on the current trend. Prayer is a life submitted and yielded to Almighty God. So I want to invite you to that life of prayer. And that's why this series is called The Life of Prayer. Um, for those of you who are curious to know what we teach our South Carolina School of Leadership students and what we teach our Union Youth Church students and what we teach uh, those who are in the intensive protege discipleship out of Union Youth Church. Um, this is one of the lessons that I have the privilege of sharing with them every year. And I felt it appropriate to share it with you. Now, you might say, well, I, well, if you share it every year, this has got to be stale bread. No, it's very fresh because when you live a life of prayer and you live a life out of relationship with the Lord and not out of duty or just discipline or good habits, um, it's fresh every day and the Lord is so faithful. So I want to encourage you uh, to just open your heart to what the Lord wants to speak to each one of you tonight and to us as a church body as a whole. Um, you see there in your notes, E.M. Bounds, there's a statement by him. And let me just say this about E.M. Bounds. He was a, a Christian author about 100 years ago or so. Anything you can get your hands on that he wrote in regards to prayer or the devoted life to Christ, 
I would encourage you to do that. And the good news is this. Most of it's in the bargain bin uh, bookstore or Amazon, two, three, four dollars a book. Whereas, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it had been 15, 20, 25 dollars. So this is great material that's a very inexpensive cost. But Ian Bounds said this, the men and women who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness in other pursuits than seeking God will make poor headway, seeking him the rest of the day. If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, he will be in the last place the remainder of the day. How many of you have found yourself falling into this trap? Lord, I, I, I've got this problem I got to solve this morning or I've got this activity I need to accomplish or this task list I need to complete. I will get back to you, I promise. And yet we find that the day slips further and further and further away from us. And we lay our head down at night and realize, oh, no, I didn't spend time with the Lord. Well, that's what Ian Bounds is saying. This should be our first priority every day is to, as pastor has told us, even in the last recent weeks, we, we drop down to our knees out of the bed first thing in the morning. Lord, the day is yours. And so am I. I love that. And can I just tell you, that's not something pastor talks about. That's something he does. I remember uh, many times throughout the last 25 years being with him at a conference or out of town in a hotel room, sharing a room at times and seeing and hearing him do that every morning. He's not just saying that, he's practicing that. And so it's so good to, to see our senior pastor leading us in this way. But the focus tonight is to talk about being with him. Mark's gospel, which was written to uh, a Hellenistic or Greek mindset, uh, especially those in, who were in Rome. And he did it to combat that Jesus was just divine. He was just God. He, he wanted to also show that Jesus was also man. So you'll see that phrase, son of God, also being changed to son of man in Mark's gospel. It was very on purpose and very, a very specific reason why he did that. But if you look with me at Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, in the New International Version, it says, He appointed twelve designated them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, many of us, when we read that, we jump right to uh, he designated them apostles so they could preach and drive out demons. And we're like, let's go. I'm ready. But what I want to focus on tonight is that little forgotten phrase that we often glance over that says that they might be with him. That's why it's underlined and bolded in your notes tonight, because that's the point of the message tonight as we begin this series on the life of prayer, is that we might be with him. Can I tell you something, church? There is nobody in this room, including me, who will be able to preach or drive out demons unless we have been with him. That is the purpose of our relationship with God, is to be with Him. Mark understood this. That's why he recorded this. I think this was intentional and on purpose. But the life of prayer begins with a heart submitted to understand, I must be with Him. We're not just ready to do the stuff. The stuff comes later, but only because we've been in His presence. Now, I also want to talk about the idea of relationship over religion. We, we've heard this overused so much in the last decade or so. And, and I, I want to 
I want to balance it out. And pastor's done such a good job of this as well. But yes, we need to focus on our relationship with the Lord, but not to the point of excluding religion. Religion is not a bad word. Religion is not a bad thing. Religion is a structure that's put in place, tracks to run on, if you will, so that we can flourish, develop and grow in our relationship with the Lord. So they each help the other. Relationship helps religion and religion helps relationship. But can I point us back to relationship tonight and just say this? It's not enough to be involved in the religious activities of going to church, of being a volunteer in VBS, uh, of being a youth sponsor. Um, those things don't make up our relationship with Jesus. It's time that we spend with him. And I cannot emphasize that point enough. Three things you need to know, and I hope we say this enough around here. Number one, God loves you, period. If you came in tonight wondering, does God love me? I'm here to tell you on the authority of his word, God loves you, period. It's not comma and, comma but, comma or. It's God loves you, period. Number two, he is with you, period. There's no other part of that sentence. This is truth. From God's word, he loves you, he's with you. And number three, he is in you. He has given you Holy Spirit that dwells within us. It's Jesus present. It's God present in us, with us. So he loves us, he's with us, and he's in us, period. Now there should be a progression of prayer in the life of every believer, and it's simply this. We should intentionally move forward from duty to discipline to delight. Now, as pastor has told us previously, duty and discipline are the lower forms of love. They're important because we got to start somewhere. It's my duty to serve God and to love him. Why? He gave his life. He gave his only son, died on the cross. He lived a sinless life. He, he rose again from the dead to claim victory for me over death, hell, and the grave and over sin. It's my duty. I, I need to love him. I need to serve him. It's also a good habit. It's a discipline. It's something I want to be a part of every day of my life. But can I encourage you, church family? It doesn't just stop with duty and discipline. There is a greater level. There's a greater understanding. There's a, a greater flow of his love and, and our love for him and him speaking to us and us listening and us responding back with faith and faithfulness. And it's this. It becomes a delight. It becomes a place and a time and a season when we cannot wait to be in the Lord's presence. Everything else takes a back seat to being with him. So I want to encourage you to be involved in this progression of prayer from intentionally moving forward from duty and discipline to delight. Because once you get there, and I don't think anybody just gets there and stays. I think we kind of wave in and out and weave in and out of delight, but it's wonderful when we can experience that. I'm here to tell you it's real because I've experienced it myself. Many years I saw my relationship with the Lord as a duty or a discipline. And I was proud of it. I thought, man, I've arrived. This is the best. But when I found that I could love him just because he loved me first 
and I could have communion and fellowship with him because that's how he designed me from the very beginning to worship and to love and to respond to his advances to me. It really became a delight and I want you to experience it as well. So let's look at six types of prayer tonight. We're going to just hit these briefly because of the time we have remaining, but I want to look at six types of prayer tonight and try to explain them and give you biblical background uh, so that you understand why they're important in the life of a believer. Because again, we're talking about the life of prayer, not just the activity of prayer, or the purpose of prayer or, or a lifestyle of prayer, but the life of prayer, prayer that envelops our entire life, our entire being. Number one, there's devotion prayer. And most of us know this one. Most of us, hopefully in this room, are having a daily time with the Lord, whether in the morning or the evening or the afternoon where we read and pray and worship and wait in his presence. This is the devoted life of the Christian. It includes worship, petition and thanksgiving. Pastor has talked about this for over 25 years, the importance of our daily time with the Lord and devoting ourselves to him. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one, but I, I do want to move on to number two, repentance. Um, a lot of times we think, well, hey, I got saved. I, I asked Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin, to make me whole and clean, to make me a new creation. And I'm good. Well, in a sense, you are. You're good. You're saved. You're made whole in your spirit. But it's not just a one time shot. Repentance is ongoing in the life of believer. And it's also during a time set aside for that purpose. I remember last year around September, we called the church to a time of repentance for the nation during Jonathan Kahn's event, The Return, that was held on September 26th last year. It's amazing how we are almost already a year removed from that. And I still feel the effects of that time spent in repentance and being drawn back into relationship with the Lord for that purpose. So it is a season or a time set aside. We must repent at salvation. We must repent when we've broken God's law. We've broken his heart as an individual, as a family, as a nation, as a society. But it's also those daily short accounts with God when we feel we grieve the Holy Spirit or we misapply the scripture or we, uh, we miss it. We miss the mark um, that the Bible talks about in regards to sin. So we want to repent. And can I just remind you, church family, repentance is good news. It's not bad news. You got caught. You're under God's thumb and he's going to you know, pour out his wrath on you till you get it right. No, it's him saying, come on, come on back. Come on back. Don't stay separated. Don't stay with your back turned to me. Don't stay in the stink that you found yourself in. Steeped in sin, steeped in selfishness. Come back to me. My arms are open wide to you. Repentance is good news. The third type of prayer I want to touch on tonight is intercession. Intercession. And this is what I tell folks every Sunday night during our seasons of Sunday night prayer. It's simply telling God what he has already told us to tell him. Let me say that again because sometimes that wording throws people off. It's telling God what he has already told us. To tell him. You might say, well, that's cheating. Exactly. Exactly. Intercessory prayer is not me coming up with something that I can impress God with. 
It's a humble and submitted heart to him that says, Lord, what are you speaking to me in this moment about this situation? Tell me your heart. Tell me your vision. Tell me your purpose so that I can say it back to you so that it'll be done in earth as it is in heaven. I'll never forget learning something very important in my walk with the Lord as I began to wake up early in the mornings back in 2016 or so, 2017. I mean, the Lord was waking me up at ungodly hours. I, I've told this story before and I apologize for those that you have, of you that have already heard it, but for those of you who are new to our church or new to this idea of intercession, I would be awakened by the Lord and then I would spend time with him in the morning, um, sometimes two, two and a half hours. And there'd be mornings, it'd just be heaven on earth. It'd be glorious. I would be in fellowship with the Lord. He'd be downloading things to my heart. There's other times it'd just be dry toast. I mean, I'm just felt like I was going through the motions, but I knew that the Lord had established and ordained that time for me to be with him. And I told him I would give him my mornings because every, every other part of my day seemed to be taken up. And um, I remember after praying one morning and then I was getting ready, I was in the restroom and the Lord spoke one word to me, one word. And it's not even a word we use. I don't even know if I knew what the word was, but he spoke it to my, to my mind. And can I just say, sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds like our voice and that's okay. That's normal. If you don't hear an audible voice, that doesn't mean you're, you know, second rate. Christian, sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds like our voice. We just have to discern who it is. Is it self? Is it spirit? Or is it Satan? Well, this morning I felt it was spirit because I wasn't smart enough to know this word. And I don't think Satan was smart enough to know this word. But it was the word efficacy. E-F-F-I-C-A-C-Y. Efficacy. And I thought, Lord, what in the world? Why, why are you telling me this word in my spirit? And so I wrote it in my prayer journal which we'll talk about later. That's very smart to do. When the Lord gives you a word, write it down. A dull pencil is always better than a sharp mind because you and I will forget if we don't write it down. So I wrote down the word efficacy. And this is the craziest thing, but I had ordered a book online about the prayers written in scripture because I was like, man, I want to learn more about prayer. I want to know how people in the Bible prayed. I want to know what they prayed. It came in the mail that day. That very day, the Lord gave me the word efficacy. And I was reading the first chapter of this book. And it's, it's written in a little bit older English. I, I like to call it smarter English because I think we've been dumbed down a little bit. But the word efficacious was in this paragraph that I was reading. And it said this. It's in your notes. Intercession is the hard work or sweat of the soul. And I knew that's what the Lord wanted to communicate to me that day. He gave me a word. He tied it with another word and then gave me the definition of intercession that I could understand and grasp. And it, it helped me, but it also hurt me because I was like, oh, there's no shortcut with intercession. It's hard work. Just like our physical body sweats when we work outside in the heat. Guess what? Our soul sweats. When we work in intercession, it's hard work. And so I want to encourage you not to shy away from the hard work of, or sweat of the soul in intercession. We see intercession in four places. 
more than that, but just four I want to touch on tonight. It's the example of Abraham in Genesis 18. This is when the angel of the Lord came and they were going to Sodom and Gomorrah to judge the city and see if it was worthy or not to be saved. And Moses began to intercede. He began to stand in the gap. He began to tell God what God had told him to speak back to God. And you see that in the scripture. You see it go back and forth. If you want to read that on your own time, it's in Genesis 18, 16 to 33. But basically, Moses is bargaining with God and he's asking him, Lord, if there are 50 who love you and serve you in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, will you save it? And, and God said, yes, I will. And then Moses got to thinking, well, Lord, if there are 40, would you save it? And God in his mercy said, yes, I will. He got all the way down to like 10 or 5. And God said he would save it. But guess what? There weren't. There weren't any godly in the city. And that's why Lot and his family had to flee. So we see Abraham interceding in Genesis for Lot and his family. We see the example in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What, what are we talking about here in regards to intercession? It's this little segment. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We're praying back to God what he's put on our heart to tell him. We see this in Job as well. Job 42, 7 to 10. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has, so now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. There is Job standing in the gap. He was the key from God's perspective for Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar not to have the wrath of God come upon them. And it worked out that way. He says, my servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You've not spoken truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar did what the Lord told them 
and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And then we see that example in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You and I have an opportunity to intercede, to stand in the gap, to tell God what he's already told us, either in prayer, by the spirit or in his word. And he's saying here, you can be an intercessor because you've prayed for those who are in authority. That would be our president, vice president, Supreme Court justices. Uh, that would be our senators, our legislators, representatives. That would be our governor, lieutenant governor, uh, statewide leaders, county leaders, county officials, city officials. When we pray for our leaders, the Lord intervenes and we're able to live quiet and peaceful lives in godliness and holiness because he says this is good and it pleases him. So intercession is God inviting us in to declare and pray what he's put on our heart so that his will and his kingdom can be seen on earth as it is in heaven. The fourth type of prayer is meditation. Meditation. Now, um, many of us, when we hear the word meditation, we automatically see somebody with their legs crossed on the floor and their fingers in circles on their knees and they're saying, "Om, om." you know, that is that is not the kind of meditation I'm talking about. Um, the world's form of meditation is to empty your mind. OK, but the biblical view of meditation is not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with the word of God, with the presence of God, with the truth of God and who he says he is. And so I, I want to encourage you um, to meditate. Psalm 119 and 15 says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. When we meditate on who God is, the truth of his word, what he says to us and says about us, it allows us time to process. And can I just encourage you? We are in a day and age when we don't have much time to process. I mean, just because everything else is instant, it, auto, it automatically makes us feel like we have to respond instantly. If you don't have an answer, if you don't have a position, if you don't have an opinion, immediately people look down on you. And can I just tell you, that's not normal. That's not natural. That's just brought about because of the day and age we live in. You and I need time to process. And if we're not spending time processing with the Lord and processing with his word and processing in meditation and prayer, we're going to be sorely ill-equipped to handle what's coming our way during these days and times. When we process, our emotional and psychological prejudices are disarmed, meaning our fleshly response and our automatic default opinion goes by the wayside because we've made room for the Lord to say, this is how you should view this. This is how you should think about this person. This is how you should respond in this situation. Because many times we feel like we're having to make split second decisions and many times we're getting it wrong. So can I just encourage you, church family, to meditate 
Spend time with him. Be with him, as Mark's gospel said earlier, because that is where we'll be able to process and that's where our prejudice will be able to be put down. When we allow scripture to permeate our mind, our will and our emotions, we no longer insist on our way, but we are more eager to desire his ways. And that's my heart for you in regards to meditation. This pierces and divides flesh from spirit. This is the Selah principle. We see this word, uh, I believe it's 71 times in scripture. In the Psalms, in 39 of the Psalms, we see it uh, three times in the book of Habakkuk. Um, But it's simply this. We know Selah is a musical term. We're not completely sure the definition of the word. It's a transliteration, meaning Selah or Selah is what they would have said thousands of years ago when the word was being used in, like it was in scripture. But it, we do know this, it means to pause, pause and think or pause and, and recount what was just sung or said or what was just played by instrumentalists. So it is the Selah principle. Let's pause, let's meditate, let's stop. I love what John Paul Jackson says, to meditate is to read the black and think the white. Now, if you have a racial mindset, you're going to read into that statement. This is not a racial statement. This is based on the book of God's word called the Bible. And if you'll look as I hold it up, there's white pages with black ink. That's what he's talking about. We read the black, but think the white. In other words, we stop long enough to understand what we're reading. That's what John Paul Jackson was saying. And I love that principle. Psalm 119.15, again, we ponder on the law. And when we ponder on God's law, it's not for us to memorize it or uh, fulfill it to the T. It's so that we can differentiate between rules and principles. Rules and principles. And we ask ourselves this question, what is God's heart behind this law? What is God's heart behind this mandate? What is God's heart behind this decree we find in Scripture? What is he trying to produce in us? And we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. And we do our best to pursue that. Now, not only do we pray um, devotionally, not only do we pray repentantly, not only do we pray in intercession or meditation, but we pray in the Spirit. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because Pastor Stephen just spent a whole lesson on praying in the Spirit and what that means. But let me point you to some passages in the New Testament. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Some translations say through groanings that cannot be understood. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Here it is again. The Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We're praying in the Spirit and intercession is a part of that. So these overlap. Jude 17 to 20. It says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. 
So we don't have to fall prey to our natural mind or instincts like those of this age do, those of these last days do. We can pray according to the Spirit. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 and 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. So the scripture over and over again encourages us and, and practically shows us how to pray in the spirit. Number six, prophetic prayer. I want to encourage you to find a message that Pastor Stephen did a while back called 100% Answered Prayer. Um, he goes into much greater depth on prophetic prayer, but I just want to hit some highlights. This is the declaration of an agreement with prayer that you and I know to be the will of God. Um, there are times when the Lord speaks to us and he says, I want to do this. And so we begin to pray, we begin to declare, we begin to decree because we know God has presented his will. There are other times when we're not sure what God's will is. So we ask him, Lord, let your will be done. I don't know what your will is in this situation. I know what the word says. I know what your heart is, but I don't know the end, what the end result should be. And guess what? It's okay to be there. That is okay. You're not second rate if, if you find yourself in that place. I find myself in that place many times. But that just causes me to seek the Lord more and pursue his presence more. But this is the foundation of what we see in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, underline that in your Bible, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So this is the foundation of that. It's a declaration of an agreement with prayer that you know to be the will of God. Now, I want to caution you. We don't just begin to, I know a lot of people that do this. It seems to be a fad and a trend right now. We, we decree and declare and we start to decree and declare not just God's will, but we start to decree and declare our will. And that is a trap of the enemy. And I believe those prayers are ineffective because they're not God's will. And then we get disillusioned by decreeing and declaring and we stop praying altogether. So don't fall into that trap of the enemy and don't just immediately begin to decree and declare out of your own spirit because that's a dead end street. You ask the Lord, show me your will. If you get a clear picture of what that is, then you decree and declare. But until that, you just ask and you seek the Lord's face and pursue him more. This is how Jesus prayed. He only prayed what was revealed to him by the Father. He only did what he saw his Father doing, and he only said what he heard his Father saying. And we should be the same way. And this, this again, is the misunderstood secret of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because what we're really saying is my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I believe that's borderline blasphemy. Because it's taking... God out of his rightful place and saying, Lord, I want this to be done. So make it happen for me. He's not the genie in the bottle. He's not the janitor in the basement that he just comes and answers every whim and wish that we have. We've got to stop treating him that way. And we've got to start settling into his presence and hearing what he has to say to us in these times. So in light of these six types of prayer tonight, prophetic prayer, praying in the spirit, meditative prayer, um, intercession, 
um, devotion and repentance. Let's, let's wrap this lesson up with some practical suggestions because so many times we get such good information from God's word, from teaching, but sometimes we don't know what to do with it. And my heart for you tonight and over these four weeks is not just to get good information on prayer so you can say, hey, I went to a prayer class and it was really good. I want you to be able to say, hey, I went to a prayer class and this is what I've been doing since then. This is how I've responded. This is what has become alive in my devotional and prayer life with the Lord. So I hope these practical suggestions will be helpful to you. Number one, you and I need to learn how to focus. Focus. In fact, just do it right now. Just 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 put everything down. Um, this won't take but 30 seconds. Just sit right there and I want you to just focus on the Lord. On nothing else. How many of you made it three seconds? It's hard, isn't it? Focus takes work. And we're not going to get it the first time. We need to ask Holy Spirit to help us focus on Him Focus on his word, focus on his truth, focus on our savior. And this means we need to be in an environment that's free of distractions. Um, you and I have the tendency to allow what's next to rob us of the God who is right now. Let me say that again. You and I have the tendency to allow what's next to rob you and I of God who is right now. The God we serve is a right now God. He wants to be with you and me in the moment right now. And if we're too busy thinking about what's next, what's next? My next project at work, my next task list at home, my next homework assignment, my next interaction with my friends or my community or whatever that looks like. What's next? What's next? Will rob us of the right now God that we serve. So we must find a place that is free of distractions. And I, I, let me just, can I meddle for 30 seconds? We need to stop being slaves to notifications. Now, if you don't know what a notification is, then you probably don't have a cell phone. But it's those little red badges at the corner of your app on your phone that says, come check this out. Come look at me. I have something for you, something new. And if we're addicted to notifications, we've conditioned ourselves out of the opportunity to be in the moment and to focus free of distractions. Did you know that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times per day. That might be a place, a practical place that you and I can start. Maybe when we're having our devotion or prayer time, we can leave our phone off or in another room. I'm, I know I'm meddling, I'm sorry. So we need to be focused and free from distractions. Number two, we need to plan. I think it's good to have a plan. I think it's good to have prayer lists. I think it's good to pray systematically. Uh, Pastor Stephen did an excellent series on uh, having a prayer journal and what it means to pray uh, and have a plan each day on what he is praying for and who he's praying for. 
and, and that's good. And, you, and I've heard him say this. We have to have lists and a system and a structure, but we are also led by the Spirit. There are some mornings I wake up and I start my list and the Lord says, nope, I don't want you to focus on the list today. I want you to focus on these two things or these three things. And we have to be flexible enough to be led by the Spirit of God. Number three, bring the Word of God into prayer. Praying Scripture is a foundation to build on. If you're wondering what God's will is, guess what? His word is his will. And if you want to pray his will, you can pray his word. I know that seems simplistic or, or simple, but it's very powerful and very profound. In fact, I found a resource today just by chance or well, I don't think it was by chance. I think the Lord directed me there. But on BibleGateway.com, there is a whole video series of learning how to pray the scripture. And it has somebody reading a scripture and then praying it. It's so very simple. And that, that was a great tool and resource for you to, to check out. So I would encourage you to go to BibleGateway.com and see how they pray the scripture there. Number four, we come with music and songs. Can I say this? Personal worship is powerful. As awesome as worship was tonight, as amazing as it is when we gather on Sunday morning in our corporate setting here at Christian Life Church in the main sanctuary or Brown Chapel, or um, even those of you praying and worshiping in your homes online, as amazing as that is, there's something special about when I, when it's just me and Jesus, and I'm worshiping God, and I'm spending time focused on Him, and loving Him with my song, and with my words, and with my heartfelt thanksgiving and love. So I want to encourage you, to worship him personally. Don't just worship him when it's easy, when there's background music and when, when there's energy in the room. Worship him when it's just you because that's when it's precious. Number five, have a notepad. Write things down. Write in a journal. Uh, two things are amazing with this. How much God will reveal to you and how much you'll forget if you don't write it down. Again, I said earlier, a dull pencil is better than a sharp mind. And then find a comfortable format. Now, when I, when I say comfortable format, I don't mean laying down in the bed. That, that may not be a good format. You might go right back to sleep and miss everything God wants to do for you. When I say comfortable format, I'm saying find a format of prayer that you like, that you'll stick with, and one that breathes life into you. Um, I know that uh, the International House of Prayer, Kansas City, uh, they have had ongoing, nonstop praise and worship before the Father for 22 years since 1999. There's not been a day, there's not been an hour, there's not been a minute that someone in that prayer room has not been praying or leading in worship or worshiping or crying out to God. 22 years. And me watching that, me involving myself in that, taking nine people from the church a few weeks ago to go and experience that firsthand, that's something that helps me. That's a comfortable format for me. It's spirit-led. It's spirit-empowered. It's focused on the Lord. It's not focused on man. And I would encourage you to find a comfortable format that helps you, that's life-giving. That's been something that's so life-giving to me is the International House of Prayer. And I would encourage you to check out that resource as well. And lastly tonight, number seven under practical suggestions, allow time for God to speak as well. So many times we're too busy doing all the talking that we don't zip it long enough to give God an opportunity to speak to our hearts, to say something important to us, to tell us something about how he created us or how we should 
function during the day that we're about to undergo. Because he knows. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the people you'll run into. He knows the situations I'll face. And I want to sit before him so that my heart is postured and prepared and ready to hear what he has to say about me, about what he's called me to do, who he's called me to be. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Now let me help some of you. He's not going, well, I'm going to be gracious to you, but I'm waiting to do it. So just you have to suffer a little bit longer. No, no, no. That means, that's not what that means. It means he's eager. He looks for ways to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So just like the Lord is eager to bless us, he wants us to be eager to wait on him, to hear him, to focus on him. The bottom line is this verse is that God waits to see if we'll wait and then he'll speak. And it's so funny. There have been times I've spent two hours in prayer and I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that and I'm just pouring out my heart and I'm like, Lord, you, you didn't say anything to me. We just spent two hours together and I'll get up from the sofa and I'll go to the kitchen to make my coffee and the Lord will start downloading stuff in my heart. And I'm like, Lord, I was, I was just over there with you for two hours. And now that I get up to make my coffee, you want to tell me now? And he's like, hey, you're on my time. You're my child. I know when you need to hear from me and I know what you need to hear from me. And we have to trust him in that. So God waits to see if we will wait. And then he, then he speaks to us. And this is what we do while we wait, because none of us like to wait. I, I'm, I'm num- I am number one in line for impatience, okay? But as we're waiting, let God love you. Let the revelation of his love, the extent of his love, the mercies of his love, the faithfulness of his love flood your heart and your life. Let him love you. And while he's loving you and while you're waiting, let God search your heart. And that should be a regular prayer. Lord, search my heart. David prayed that. Search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Don't cast me out of your presence, Lord. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. Let God search your heart. And then I love number three, because this, this is what will happen. Let God gradually reveal his plan for you. He's not going to dump it all on you in one day and then walk away and go, good luck with that. No, it's a feeding and it's a fellowshipping and it's a pouring into and it's a daily reckoning and coming. It's a dance with him where we spend time and he pours out and we ask and he answers and we declare and he agrees and says, yes, that is my will. I want to do this. Watch me perform it on your behalf. Let God gradually reveal his plan for you. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about living out the Lord's Prayer. One of our traditions here at Christian Life Church is to pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday together. And I want us to take it a step further and see how Jesus prayed based on the model that he showed the disciples in the Lord's Prayer. It's really cool. And I hope you'll join us next Wednesday night. Can I pray for you? Father, I just want to thank you for this precious church family. Thank you for these four weeks that we'll have together 
to discuss and to dive into and to understand more about the life of prayer. Father, if there is someone here tonight that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, they don't know you as the forgiver of their sins, they don't know that heaven is their eternal home, they don't know that you want to lead them in their everyday life, I pray that they would find a pastor or a friend at the end of this service and ask them to pray with them and tell them, I want to ask Jesus to forgive my sins and become the leader of my life. Father, you're touching hearts even now. Even if someone's online, Lord, I thank you that you're touching their heart. And Father, I pray that as they hear that prompting, that they would see that number in the corner of the screen and they would call the church office and someone would be able to lead them to Christ. Father, if there are those here tonight and Lord, all they've heard is condemnation this whole evening. I, I got to do better in prayer and I'm not praying enough and I want to be like Pastor Justin when I grow up. Lord, they've missed the whole point. That's not the point. The point is for us to fall in love with you and move from duty to discipline to delight. And so, Father, I pray that you pour out your delight on your children. Give them a hunger for you like they've not had in a long time and may the word of God come alive to them or as they make plans or as they change their schedule as they commit to a newness of following you in devotional prayer and intercessory prayer and meditative prayer Lord I ask that you'd meet them meet them at their point of commitment and show them how beautiful the life of prayer is Father, I pray that you would make us a praying church, not for the sake of having a title, but for the sake of your kingdom's work being accomplished in our homes, our marriages, our families, our businesses, our towns, our cities, our counties, our state and our nation and around the world. Because Lord, we're a church connected on all those levels, and we need your power and your direction to do what you're calling us to do in these last days. Draw us close, Lord. Draw us close. Give us a heart. Give us a thirsting. Give us a hungering for your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week, Lord willing. Have a great evening.